you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started and open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1 in our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. We are transitioning into the book of Joshua. We just finished the Pentateuch last week at the end of the new year. We had the honor in 2018 of, of mining through Genesis through to the end of Deuteronomy. What a, what a, what an exciting year it was. And I'm really excited heading into 2019 here to be looking at starting out in the book of Joshua. I believe the Lord's going to really touch our hearts and uh, one of the things I want to do this morning is uh, set up our study of Joshua by really uh, reflecting upon where we've come from in 2018 when we we uh, looked at Genesis through Deuteronomy and um, and then also kind of uh, cast vision for heading into Joshua together. So I'm really looking forward to doing that together with you this morning. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 3 this morning. And church, it is so good to see you all this morning and to worship Jesus together with you. So let's read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 together. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. The title of the message this morning is God's Promises Made in the Past Still Stand. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much that you're a promise maker and you are a promise keeper. Lord, the promises that we make so many times where we fall short and we sin by not fulfilling the promises that we make, not keeping our word the way we should. And we thank you for the blood of Christ, which atones for those sins. But Lord, one of the things that we love so much about you is that you are always faithful to keep the promises that you've made. And Lord, as we embark into the book of Joshua this morning, help us to be personally stirred up and edified and built up as your people, as your church today, as we see the way you fulfilled your promise to the people of Israel by carrying them forth truly into the promised land. We're so excited about 2019. We're so excited about heading into the book of Joshua together. And we ask for your blessing on this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's going to be six points that we hit uh, this morning. Uh, The first point is going to deal with the book of Genesis, and we're going to focus on uh, each one of these. Just try to choose one word that accents God. Uh, from each one of these books, and it was very hard to do, actually. But Genesis, Creator. Point two, Exodus, Redeemer. Point three, Leviticus, Holy. Point four, Numbered, Ever-Present. Point five, Deuteronomy, Unchanging. And then point six, Joshua, Warrior, Warrior. 
let's look at point one, Genesis creator. Um, I love the way that the Bible begins in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he created the whole universe, brothers and sisters, by the word of his power. He just spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And I, I read Genesis 1, it never ceases to blow me away. I'm just like, that's awesome. You know, you read and see the power of God and his creative power to create the universe out of nothing. The Latin phrase ex nihilo, prized by Christians of old, that he created the universe out of nothing. God is not dependent upon having matter in order to create. He creates out of nothing the universe by the word of his power. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm excited this morning just to look at just uh, just images of our big, awesome God and our glorious Savior. So I want to just focus on God being big and also Jesus just being so awesome and glorious. And so we're going to look at both of those things. But Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a glorious, glorious start to the Bible. And I was so enjoying going through that together with you all last year. Um, in Colossians 1 16, we see that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, actually is the one It says all things are created through him and for him. Jesus actually created all things, and all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And so, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we see the, the Trinity at work as the Spirit of God's hovering over the waters and the Lord creating with awesome power, but we see Christ right there in the midst of Genesis 1-1, right at the start of your Bible, and we see Christ all the way through. That's one of the reasons why this series is entitled Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, so that we can treasure and see and savor Christ in all of Scripture. But one of the things that's so wonderful about Scripture is God is not only the creator of the whole universe, He's the creator of you, friends. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian here this morning, God created you. I was reflecting on Psalm 139, and, and look at these verses, how fitting as uh, John was mentioning him and Steve kind of leading us forward into the Sanctity of Life Human Sunday uh, in January 20th, us celebrating that here as a church and gathering uh, materials to bless the Mercy Crisis Pregnancy Center in Reading. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, speaking about how God created each and every one of us. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. This phrase is always so awesome to me in the beginning of 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Just stop and meditate on that, brothers and sisters, and be just enriched this morning. And then look at these verses. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's an awesome verse. You want to anchor down into the sovereignty and goodness of God in your life. Think about God creating you, but also just 
in his book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for you, when as yet there were none of them. This is an awesome God who is in sovereign control and ruling in his infinite goodness over our lives. And in verse 17, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just said, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And so as we looked at Genesis, can't help but just marvel at God as creator. He created the universe and he created you, brothers and sisters. He created you, unbeliever that we're praying will become a believer today. You were created by God. And God said, it is good. It is good. You have purpose. You have design. God created you. Capital Y-O-U. He created you specifically to bring glory to His name in your own unique and special way. There's something special about you. God's got glorious plans for your life. Submit your life to Christ this morning and enjoy the glorious plans that God has for all those who love Him. A precious sighting of Christ in the book of Genesis. Genesis 3.15, really the, one of the first mentions of the Gospel. The first mention of the Gospel in the Bible. Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Speaking of the woman's offspring, which is speaking of Christ, the son of Mary, the woman, Christ shall bruise your head. You know who this is being spoken to. This curse here is being spoken upon Satan the serpent. Christ shall bruise your head even as you bruise his heel. I couldn't help but think of that as we were singing it. He was bruised for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities this morning as we were singing in worship. But in the midst of being bruised for our transgressions, a crushing blow was dealt to Satan by Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Amen, brothers and sisters. A crushing blow to the serpent dealt by the offspring of the woman. There's a glorious sighting of Christ in the book of Genesis. And for the sake of time, i got to move on. But savor it. Savor it. Because it is glorious, isn't it? Let's move to point two. Exodus. Redeemer. Redeemer. And in focusing in on uh, Exodus and Redeemer, I want to focus in on Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. There's a mention again of the promised land in the book of Exodus. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. But focus in on that phrase. I will redeem you 
with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The dictionary just defines redeem. Redeem is wider in its application than ransom. Redeem means to buy back, to regain possession of. God regained possession of His people through redeeming them out of slavery in Egypt. To ransom is to redeem a person from captivity by paying a stipulated price. That's what a ransom is. A ransom is a price that buys the freedom. That buys the person out of captivity. And redemption from sin is possible by sacrifice of blood. Redeem. The central theme of redemption in Scripture is that God has taken the initiative to act compassionately. David Reitmeyer says, to act compassionately on behalf of those who are powerless to help themselves. In redemption, God has acted compassionately. Think about this for your own life. He's acting compassionately towards you on those who are powerless to help themselves. The New Testament makes clear that divine redemption includes God's identification with humanity in its plight and the securing of liberation of humankind through the obedience, suffering, death, and resurrection of the incarnate Son. God's had compassion on those who are powerless to help themselves. God has bought us. He has bought us out of slavery to sin and Satan and death by the blood of Christ. But in the book of Exodus, we see Him redeeming His people out of the land of slavery under the hand of Egypt with great and mighty acts of judgment. And brothers and sisters, we see there a foretaste of the theme of redemption from our sins by the precious blood of Christ. Exodus chapter 12, also in the book of Exodus, talks about the significance of blood when the Passover takes place. And if there's a verse to memorize in the book of Exodus, Exodus 12, verse 13, uh, ponder this. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. This is what John mentioned a moment ago. I love this phrase. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And when God saw the blood, He passed over the people of Israel, but struck down the firstborn of Egypt who did not have the blood covering over them. We must have blood covering over us in order for us to be delivered from the wrath of God. We learn about that and, and, and here we see in Exodus chapter 12 the significance of not only the redemption by Christ, but also it's pointing to the blood on the door, the blood of Christ which was, was, was shed in order to deliver us from the wrath of God, to satisfy the wrath of God. So the blood is the ransom that buys us out of slavery, but the blood is also that which makes satisfaction. 
of God's wrath. It absorbs God's wrath that was targeted at you, beloved, before you believed. The punishment that has brought us peace was upon Him, Christ. And He shed His blood to atone for our transgressions. My wife was talking to me just this past week that she saw a definition of redemption and redeem. And it was real simple. And it, when she said it, I was like, oh, sweetie, that, this is awesome. She just said, freedom bought for you. Freedom bought for you. Oh, Mark, you brothers and sisters, we are going to walk in the land of the new Jerusalem together. Even as we walk, even right now. Free children of God redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And aren't you so thankful that we have been redeemed? We saw God and His awesomeness in Exodus with the point of Redeemer and many other things besides. Let's move to point three, Leviticus. Leviticus, holy. Holy. And actually, before I move into holy, I just want to highlight, there's this song by Zach Williams that John Shade sent to me the other day, which is entitled Chainbreaker. It's Zach Williams' Chainbreaker. Look it up and listen to it. He actually does the video from a prison. And in the uh, prison, uh, they're having a worship service to the song Chainbreaker. And there's just men gathered together in the prison, lifting their hands in praise to Jesus for being the chainbreaker and setting us free from the bonds of sin and Satan and death. I'm so thankful for our chain breaker, aren't you? Oh, love them, love them, love them. Point three, Leviticus, holy. Leviticus 11, for I am Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, so you must be holy because I am holy. Five times that phrase is repeated in the book of Leviticus alone, be holy as I am holy. And it's speaking to the importance of obedience to God's law uh, coming out and being separate from the world. Um, be, to be holy means to be other. And for us to be holy, we are to be other in the way that we live our lives. Displaying God's holy character and being salt and light in this world, brothers and sisters. First Peter 1, verse 15 says this, But as He who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. There's a reference in the New Testament to our exile or our time in the wilderness. Verse 18, which is our lives right now. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Look at this. We were ransomed. We were bought back. Bought by blood. From the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And in Leviticus, we see our holy God laying forth for the people of God through Moses that sacrifices made with a lamb that is without blemish. 
would atone for sin and point to the true Lamb without blemish. Jesus Christ, whose blood alone can truly atone for the sin of the world. The Lamb without blemish theme, we see Christ all the way throughout Leviticus. We see the holy character of our awesome God in the book of Leviticus. And we see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So there's no way for us to be forgiven of our sins, brothers and sisters, unless it be for the blood of Christ. An unbeliever, for you, all of your many sins can be forgiven like ours have been if you will trust in the blood of Christ that was shed. By the blood of Christ alone can your sins be forgiven you. Verse 23, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, And after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for Him. It's coming brothers and sisters. He's going to come again and this time not for sin but to save you and to bring you finally and completely into heaven, those of you who have believed in Christ and repented of your sins. And so enjoy, enjoy that our holy God has done something about the problem of our sin. He gave His own Son as a sin offering mentioned in Leviticus, which always pointed to Christ. And in Exodus, where the Passover lamb was pointed to, we read in 1 Corinthians 5 that Christ, is our Passover lamb, our true Passover lamb. And by His blood, we can be ransomed. By His blood, we can be set free. By His blood, the wrath of God, aimed at our sin, can be completely exhausted by Jesus if we will trust in Christ and His blood. And the wrath of God will not come upon us who have believed and repented. How good... Is that good news to a sinner this morning like me? Point four, numbers, ever present, ever present. I, I, was, I was hung up on the word wilderness and I, 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 I wanted to hyphenate it and just call, call it wilderness God. Because it's not just his people who go into the wilderness. Remember the book of Numbers, the Midbar means in the wilderness, in the Hebrew We have a God who is ever-present with His people in the wilderness. Numbers is about the people of God and their 40 years of wilderness wandering. And God was with them every single step of the way. If you guys could put the map up uh, of the wilderness wanderings. There's a couple that we have here. Starting out over here in Egypt, 
and going down towards Sinai, they traveled up to Kadesh Barnea, where this is where they sinned and didn't believe in the Lord and uh, said that there were giants in the land and our children are going to be slaughtered when they went to go up into the promised land and spy out the land and came back and gave a bad report on the land. They spent, this is always important to know, 37.75 years right here. We tend to think it was it was spread out more, but because of their sin and the consequences of it, they spent 37 and three quarters years here before traveling north and ending up right here, right across the... Uh, the Jordan River where they'll cross and conquer Jericho in just a few chapters. But it's really important to note that as they did this, there's, I love this map because it actually, if you look at it in detail and you can go on Google Images and actually get this map and study, there's 42 different encampments all along the way over the 40-year wilderness wandering. The last one ends up here in Gilgal across the Jordan River, which we'll look at in the upcoming weeks in Joshua. 42 encampments, 37 and three-quarter years in the wilderness of Zin and Kadesh Barnea. And God was with his people every single step of the way. Even as they were enduring the consequences of their sin in Kadesh Barnea, the Lord was with them. He's ever-present with his people. The point that really I want to make is that he was with his people every step of the way. If we can put the other map up at this time, we see that they spent time all the way here. They spent getting to Sinai. That only took about a year. And by the time they ended up in Kadesh Barnea, there's a lot of occurrences that are taking place. Um, right after they left Sinai, they complain after three days of travel. There's, uh, there's God providing for them wisdom through the appointment of 70 elders. He provides for them meat in the wilderness. I loved focusing in on that together with you. 500 million pounds plus of quail in the middle of the desert. So much so that they all said there's no way that God can do that. Even if all the oceans were emptied of the fish in the sea, how could 4 million Israelites be fed by God in the wilderness. And God answers them and says, is the arm of the Lord too short? And each family unit estimated to get 1,900 birds for that entire month, each family unit. Calculating that out with the average weight of one quail, you get neighborhood of 500 million plus pounds of meat that the Lord provides in the wilderness. God's with His people. He knows their needs. Then there's rebellion by Miriam and Aaron. And and then there's the wanderings where Korah's rebellion takes place. And Moses and Aaron, they experience betrayal. And brothers and sisters, it's important to note that God's with us in all the ups and downs of life. Life isn't always just these powerful moments of miraculous provision like the provision of quail. There's times where we are betrayed by people who shouldn't have betrayed us. And we experience suffering and rebellion even by those closest near us. And you see here that the Lord is just constantly with His people. He's always faithful. The allegiances and the steadiness of man is up and down and is shaky all the time. But God 
is always ever present and with his people. And he will always be with his people in the wilderness. He's going to be with you. Every step of the way, brothers and sisters, in this journey. And as they travel north, this episode here that he gives them power over uh, the Moabites and the Amorites to the north. But the fiery serpent episode, I've just got to read this scripture because this is where we see God is ever present with his people. But also we see a precious sighting of Christ in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Once again, the time marked with the people's sins. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Calling bread from heaven from God worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And look at the grace of God. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who was bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This image of the bronze serpent being lifted up in the wilderness between heaven and earth. Jesus picks up and carries it in John 3.14 when he says, just as Moses was lifted up, just as he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up in order to die on the cross. The, the, the serpent was lifted up on the pole and anybody who would look to the serpent would be healed from the judgment of God that came upon them because of their disobedience. And anybody in this room who by the grace of God will look to Christ who was lifted up on a pole, on a cross, of wood, anybody who will look to Christ this morning in repentance and in faith will live this morning and will be delivered from the judgment of God as well. God was with His people in the wilderness. God saved His people from their sin in the wilderness. And God is with us and has saved us from our sins, brothers and sisters. Aren't you so thankful for that? Let us embrace that we are in the wilderness here as sojourners on this earth, pilgrims on the way to the heavenly city, that we might not settle here. We won't be truly settled until we make it into heaven. We're living in sort of, brothers and sisters, like hotel living here in this fallen world where you're always ready to get packed up and ready to move on. Where the pictures and the furniture in the room, though beautiful and even comfortable at times, are not your own possessions. That's coming yet in the future. Let us hold everything in this earth with a light grip and cling tightly to our God who is with us in the wilderness. And let us look to Christ this morning, beloved, 
because only by looking to Him in repentance and faith can you be healed of the venom of sin that flows through your veins. Only by Christ can you be healed and forgiven and cleansed and saved from the wrath of God. Point five, Deuteronomy. Unchanging. Unchanging. Deuteronomy means second giving of the law. And we see that it's the same God to the new generation now giving the same law that was given to the first generation to the second generation. We looked at that there is more need for us as God's people to be reminded of what we already know. More than we need to learn new things. And there's a constant clamoring in our culture Forgive me what is new. Give me what is novel. And we as the people of God need to remember that when the next generation came up, God gave His people the same law. And for us, let us not ever tire, brothers and sisters, from one generation to the next to give the same Gospel of Jesus Christ to the next generation. Let us never be on the hunt for some newer message, some novel message that might even seem to sizzle or be the next new thing. Let us, as Scripture tells us to, let us look to the ancient paths. Let us look to the ancient but ever new and ever vibrant Gospel of Jesus Christ. And let us cling to it and cherish it and never tire of it together as we head into and head toward the promised land, the same God and the same law is repeated because our God is unchanging and His character is unchanging. We looked in Deuteronomy 32 at these two verses in the Song of Moses. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, Moses said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Ascribe greatness to our God. We looked at that word greatness, the godel in the Hebrew, that word is used very rarely in the Old Testament. It just is talking about the immensity and the magnitude of God. In other words, God's big, huge, and let us never put Him in a box. Let's never shrink Him down as if He can't do something. With God, all things are possible. Let us not limit God in our minds as to what He can do, brothers and sisters. He is so good. And able to not only save you, but sustain you in this wilderness. And sustain me in this wilderness. What a great God He is. But as verse 4 says as well, He is the rock. His work is perfect. The rock, His work is perfect for all His ways. Our justice. This rock speaks to the immutability of God. He is God unchanging. He is permanent. He remains the same one generation to the next. The generation that died in the wilderness passed away and the next generation arose. But the same God, the rock, was there from one generation to the next. And He is there for us as well. What this means when we talk about God being unchanging, immutable, being the rock, being permanent, 
And here's where it can apply right into your own life right, right now, beloved. God's always able to be counted on in your life. You can always count on Him. And as you head into 2019, I pray that that encourages your heart this morning. He can always be counted on because His character is unchanging. He's always ever faithful. Amen? Precious sighting of Christ in the book of Deuteronomy, we learn that the rock in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 is specifically someone we love, believer. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ who gives living water to drink to His people who will believe in Him. This is a rock who, it says in the Word, followed His people through the wilderness. So most rocks don't move. They just kind of stay there. God can always be counted on. He is always there. And He is a mobile rock, if you will. No matter where you go and where you travel, He is always with you, believer. And He can always be counted on. And where can you ever go from His presence, Psalm 139, delights in and revels in. And that's why when we think of our unchanging God, our great God, whose way is perfect, we can look at our lives right now. And even though this be our experience in 2 Corinthians 4, we can be comforted. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. Oh, don't cling to those. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Cling this morning, precious child of God, to the rock whose way is perfect. Our God unchanging, immutable. Immutability is my wife Shannon's favorite attribute of God. She loves pondering and meditating on God being her rock and being unchanging. And I love that about her. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to remember God is our rock. And cling to Him and not to the things of this world. And finally, let us look at Joshua just briefly and prepare ourselves for the exciting developments as we head into this upcoming series heading into Joshua. And for that, the word warrior came to mind and and that will become known as we head deeper into the book. But as we look at God as warrior, we see Him fighting on behalf of His people driving out the enemies of the people of God, powerfully delivering His people into the promised land. 
And friend, I just want to say this in brief. If you're a Christian, that's your story. God's fighting for you. You might not be aware of it right now with your own eyes as you're looking at the troubles that you're carrying in your life. But look to Him and trust in Him and take comfort this morning, dear friend, as you're afflicted and as you're perplexed. You don't need to be driven to despair because your good God, your warrior God, is fighting on your behalf. He will drive out every foe so that you will make it safely across the Jordan and into the promised land. You're going to make it, beloved. You're going to make it. And I hope that uplifts your heart this morning. And in Genesis 15, all the way back, I calculated it out from this moment here, all the way back to the covenant God made with Abram in Genesis 15. You're talking about 675 years all the way back. God said to Moses, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out, Abram, with great possessions. Oh, what an imagery that is of our salvation. Great possessions, Christian. You have great possessions beyond even what you're aware of. As for you, speaking to Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, this covenant that God cut where He promised to bring His people to the promised land. He says in verse 18 of Genesis 15, On the day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, Abram, I give this land, the promised land, that Abram was standing on at the time, But the fulfillment of it wouldn't come until 675 years later here in Joshua 1 in 1406 B.C. Tracing all the way back to 2081 B.C. when God made this covenant with Abram. To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabinites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, brothers and sisters, that land is about ready to be delivered into the hands of the people of Israel. God always comes through with His promises. He makes a promise and He keeps it. And the reason this is important for us in application today as we close is because God has made promises to you as well. When He promises to you in the book of Philippians, the glorious promise that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, guess what? It's the same unchanging God that made a promise to Abram and then 675 years later fulfilled it. He will also see to it. You can count on it with His character He will be ever present with you in the wilderness 
And he will carry this work on in you to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will carry you safely across the Jordan. He will settle you in the promised land of heaven where you will see Christ face to face forever and enjoy him. The one who would shed his blood for you. You will enjoy and I will enjoy and we will savor the forgiveness and the love of our dear Savior forever and ever. Count on it. It's going to happen. That is what we can take from those little verses in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 3. That if we just read them in isolation in a quiet time, we could so quickly just kind of rush right past. Men and women of God for generations labored under slavery. How long, O oh Lord? And here they're about ready to realize their inheritance. And you are laboring underneath of heavy loads in the wilderness, brothers and sisters, and I'm aware of that. And as your pastor, and as your pastors, John and I carry your troubles and your burdens on our hearts heavily. But this is just how it is in the wilderness land that we're in right now. Very soon, all of us are going to be safely across. And then there will be no more need for fighting. Because we'll be able to set down our armor and enjoy our eternal rest. And enjoy our Savior face to face. Let's pray. Lord, we can't wait for that day. Can't wait for that day. Our great getting up morning. Lord, as we cross over the Jordan River, as we cross over the river of death, We have nothing to fear, God, as we look at our future together. We know that many will be the troubles that we face in the sojournings of our wilderness wanderings and journey here, this side of glory. But God, we know that you who began this good work in us will carry it on to completion. And we know that we can count on it because you are always faithful Because your promises that you made in the past, even 675 years ago, even 2,000 years ago, are just as living and alive in your mind towards your people as if you just spoke them off your lips. A thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years in your sight, almighty rock, great. God, we love you, and we're so thankful to be your people. Lord, if there's anybody here who hasn't trusted in you, Jesus, I pray that they would lay aside the things of this world and cling to the rock, that they would see the serpent lifted up. The bronze serpent. And instead, that they would see Christ lifted up on the cross, suffering on their behalf. 
they would look to you, Christ, this morning and that they would be delivered and saved by repenting of their sins and trusting in you. Lord, I ask that you would do that for any who haven't believed. And that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they wouldn't put it off for another day. But today is the day of salvation. For those of us who have believed, we just want to say, as we sung earlier, Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much, God, for being so great and so awesome and so holy. And yet being so holy, you had so much love yet to send your own precious Son to die for our unholiness. How can we thank you enough, God, for being a God who was willing to send his own Son down into the mess of this fallen world and the sin that we brought into it and roll up your sleeves and get into that muck and and take even our sin upon yourself, Jesus, and die on the cross. in order to save us from our sin, in order to deliver us from the wrath we deserve. Oh God, You are awesome. And we are so thankful to have You in our light. As we head into this new year, help us to remember that You're going to be with us every step of the way. And help us to take heart and be comforted. For the Lord our God will be with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you guys could put that one Piper quote up before uh, we go, just as a benediction here and just just kind of a reminder on the way out the door, the last thing. This quote was something my wife Shannon sent to me. No matter what you face this year, God will be doing 10,000 things in your life that you cannot see. Trust Him. Love Him. And they will all be good for you. God works all things together for the good of those who love Him, church. Go forth in peace. God bless you.